officially this morning back into our Romans series. I hope you're happy about that. Whenever uh, I'm preaching through a book and then we take a break from that for whatever reason, if it's a short topical series or if some special occasion like I've been preaching in the last few weeks about the church's vision and uh, mission. Um, sometimes there's a little grumbling in the church. Like, hey, when are we going to get back to Romans? You know, or it's really we're really rolling there. Well, we're back. All right. You don't have a Bible? We have some Bibles over here. Um, Glenn's got a few. There's some on the back table. If you don't have one, grab one of those and take it home with you. It's yours to keep. Uh, the reason we do that is because I I preach out of the New American Standard, and it can be a little hard to understand sometimes, just because. Um, it's a, very much a word-for-word -word translation um, rather than a thought-for-thought -thought or a paraphrase. And I like that. That's how I study best just because um, it reads in the English a lot like the way that the, the Greek writers like Paul wrote. Uh, but my gosh, uh, if, sometimes you can read 10 verses and it's still one sentence, right? It, the, the semicolon is used a lot in the New American Standard and uh, you kind of have to hold your breath until you get to the next thing that explains the thing that you just read and so sometimes that can be difficult and if you're not following along in a New American Standard like I'm preaching then sometimes it can be hard so we have those at the back please take one if you don't have a, a, a copy uh, of that version and it'll be a little easier to to keep up but it won't be it won't be impossible today as we continue our study in Romans we're going to look at this idea of the potter and the clay. We're towards the end of chapter 9. Uh, some of the area that we've already covered, that we've already discovered, has been some hard sayings to really swallow, right? Been some difficult things. Paul says in the beginning of that chapter, he's, he's talking about uh, his kinsmen or his relatives according to the flesh. Right? Those who share his same blood. So some of those might be family members, but they're definitely fellow Israelites, fellow Jews. And throughout the book of Romans, he, he comes back and forth. He speaks to Gentiles, that is non-Jewish uh, non hearers or readers. And also he talks to Jewish readers in that period of time. And part of his missionary strategy was he would go into cities and he would first go into where? Do you know? Yeah, he would go into the synagogues. He would go into the Jewish places of worship and he would present Christ. If he had the opportunity inside the synagogue, he would do that. Or he would find people after church, after synagogue, and talk to them and talk to them about the Messiah and tell them that he knew who the Messiah was. The Messiah had come. He would go to these synagogues and he would talk to them in a way uh, that he was contextualizing the gospel. He knew his audience. You have to know your audience. And he did. As a matter of fact, we learned that he was a very pronounced Jew, if you want to call it that. We learned from the book of Galatians and the book of Philippians. He gives his story, if you will. He says, I was the most zealous of the Pharisees who were a group 
of lawmakers or lawyers. They knew the law backwards and forwards. These are the people who questioned Jesus all the time to try to trap Him. And so here again in Romans chapter 9, Paul is going to talk specifically to a Jewish audience. Now, all of God's Word is, all the Bible is God-breathed. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, right? We learn this in the book of 2 Timothy. And so even though there are times where Paul or the writers in Scripture are specifically talking to a, a Jewish group, we know that it has implications for us as Christians. And that God intends for us to know what's going on here and how it impacts us. And so today as we look at the potter and the clay, we're going to discover three things about God as the potter. So we're going to start in verse 19 and read through verse 24 in Romans chapter 9. And then we're going to circle back and break down this text. It's also going to take us to the Old Testament in the book of Jeremiah. But we're going to come back and this is going to be our major text this morning. So if you'll follow along in your copy of the scripture, starting in verse 19, Paul says, You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, Why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay? To make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use. What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. And he did so in order that he might make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us, whom he also called, not from among the Jews only, but also from among the Gentiles. This is perhaps one of the most difficult texts in Scripture throughout history for Christians to wrap their mind around. Actually, all of chapter 9 is, is very difficult. And there are actually believers who have parted company, parted fellowship based upon this chapter of Scripture. Did you know that? And their understanding of this chapter of Scripture. So I, I don't want to give you the impression this morning that as we look at this for the next 30 minutes or so, we're going to solve all the mysteries. Okay? Number one, there are mysteries in God's Word. Some have called the imponderables of God. Things that we can't figure out in our finite human minds. Things that we think should be reconciled when they really don't have to be reconciled. In God's mind, it all makes sense, but in ours, it really doesn't. So you might have struggled with this passage before. You might be struggling with it right now. What does it mean? As Paul says in the verses before this, he, he talks about, he says, I wish, he says at the very beginning of this chapter, I wish that I could be accursed. Separated from Christ on behalf of my kinsmen according to the flesh. He's, he loves his people, his own people so much. He wants them to become believers and followers of Jesus Christ so much. 
And he says, I'm willing to forfeit everything. He says, however, that's not my call. It's the call of God. And then he says this. He says, it's not as though the word of God has failed considering my kinsmen according to the flesh. He's talking about Jews. It's not as though God's word has failed concerning them for all of Israel, or not all of Israel, are of Israel. What does he mean by that? He's saying there's a group, there's an elect group within the nation of Israel itself who have responded positively to the call of God. They've responded in faith when God's communicated with the whole group. Some of them are prophets that we'll see in the Old Testament. Some of them are leaders, judges, people that God has risen up who hear His voice and obey Him, but it doesn't mean that everybody's going to obey Him. So Paul says it's not as though the word of God has failed. It's not as though his promise has failed. He promised to make Abraham a great nation. And he does. But he doesn't make Abraham a great nation. He doesn't bless Abraham with physical seed. He blesses him with spiritual seed. People who follow in the same steps as Abraham did. When God says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And the Bible says Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Those types of people. So Paul is going to distinguish between the whole nation of Israel and those within the nation who responded positively in faith to God's offer, whatever it might be, His covenant. And so he says, he gives examples. He says, even before Esau and Jacob were born, it was said to their mother, the older will serve the younger. He gives another example about Pharaoh. He says that Pharaoh, God came to Pharaoh. God spoke through his messenger to Pharaoh in Egypt. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened. God allowed Pharaoh's heart to be hardened. He even says God hardened his heart. So then the question that the Apostle Paul anticipates, after he says in verse 18, so then God has mercy upon whom he has mercy, and he hardens whom he desires. He anticipates the question in verse 19. You will then say to me, why does he still find fault? Who can resist God's will? In anticipation of that question and asking that question, he then gives an answer about the potter. He gives this illustration of a potter and clay. Now this doesn't come out of left field. He's referencing something even that in the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 18 of Jeremiah talks about when he talks about the character of God. And that's what we're learning about today. The character of God as the potter. The first thing that we notice in verse 19 through 20 is that the potter is the master designer. The potter, God is like a potter in that He has a master design. He's the only party involved who has a design and a purpose. Notice what Paul says there. He says, on the contrary, first of all in verse 20, on the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? It's a good question, isn't it? Who are you, O man? Sometimes we forget who we are, don't we? We forget 
what we are. We forget who we are. And then he asks, the thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Why is it that Paul asks this question this way? Could he have not said, the clay will not answer to the potter? That would have stayed with, you know, the way he was talking already. Why is it that he says the thing molded will not say to the molder? So that we'll see it even more simply. That we are, as human beings, we are things molded. We are not molders. We love to pride ourselves in the modern age of being creativity experts. We, we praise and laud people who are creative souls. As a matter of fact, today, if the, the more innovative and creative you are, the more our society respects you. Creativity. Being creators, being innovators. We have been riding this wave of modernity for so long. We've made such huge strides in science and in art and engineering and in technology with the Industrial Revolution and now the Technological Revolution, the dot-com movement, I mean, all of this stuff. And wow, do we think we have discovered it all. But we haven't. Anything that we know, anything that we discover is only God peeling back the curtain just a bit so we can see things. That's all it is. We still don't understand some of the things that blow our minds about the universe and about science, the things that we discover in science. The best we can do is make hypotheses and theories. At the end of the day, we are all molded things. We are not molders. And that's what Paul wants us to understand. The potter is the master designer. The thing molded will not say to the molder anything about design. Why? Get this picture, right? I, I'm not into to art or sculpting, but I've, I've seen the movie Ghost. Anybody seen that? I think that, that might have been my first, uh, my first exposure to the whole idea of how somebody makes a vase, vase, whatever you call it. It's on a spinning wheel and sometimes they're motorized, sometimes it's you know a foot pump or whatever. But they take this, it's really impressive, take this big lump of clay. Has anybody do that? Has anybody done that? Yeah, a few people, that's great. That's awesome. So you know this better than I do, but you put this lump of clay on this spinning wheel and you, and you start spinning the wheel. And you use your hands to create friction on this piece of clay. Sometimes the clay is easy to handle. Sometimes it's not very easy to handle. You add water. Sometimes it can be too dry. Sometimes it can be too wet. But I do remember in seventh grade art class when I was a kid, I made this little, it's actually on our dresser right now. It's a little uh, coin, what's it called? Coin tray? A little coin dish? It was for my granddad. My papa is what I called him. He was my, I was his fishing buddy. Every time he went fishing, he would take me. And so one day I was in seventh grade, we were in art class, and it was kind of a required class, and I was in there just trying to do my best, you know. And uh, our teacher said, we're going to make clay 
pots and things like that, clay projects. You're going to make this, and then you're going to, we're going to put it in the kiln. I didn't know what a kiln was. And, uh, and then it's going to come out, and, and you can give it to somebody or whatever. So a lot of people made stuff for their mom. I made a little bass. It was cut out of a bass fish. You know, big, largemouth bass. Had a little thing. You could take it off. You could put money in it, change it. I thought, I'm going to make something for my papa that he's really going to like. It was ugly. It was really ugly. But bless his heart, he, he told me he loved it. But the potter takes from the lump of clay nothing. He puts it on his wheel and he makes it what he has in his mind to make it. He is the master designer. Now, keep your place there and turn over to Jeremiah chapter 18. You need to see this. This idea of a potter in clay would not have been foreign to a Jewish audience. It might have been if they didn't know their Bible very well, but they did. This is a time, obviously, when Israel is in rebellion against God. And he sends them prophets to speak his word. This one was Jeremiah. Chapter 18, starting in verse 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I shall announce my words to you. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something on the wheel. But the vessel that he was making of clay, which was spoiled in the hand of the potter. So he remade it into another vessel, as it pleased the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does? Declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. At one moment I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to uproot, to pull down, or to destroy it. If that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the calamity I plan to bring on it. Or at another moment I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to build up or to plant it. If it does evil in my sight by not obeying my voice, then I will think better of the good which I had promised to bless it. So then, speak to the men of Judah and against the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning calamity against you and devising a plan against you. Oh, turn back each of you from his evil way and reform your ways and your deeds. Notice in verse 4, in your Bible, he says the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter. Now God told his prophet Jeremiah to go to this potter's house to see what's going on. And he sees what's happening. And the timing was just perfect and God knew it. And what Jeremiah saw was the potter making a vessel out of clay, but somewhere along the way, as he was forming it, 
the vessel became spoiled. So the potter didn't take the clay off of the wheel and discard it. But what he did is he remade it into another vessel as it what? Pleased the potter to make. And he says God is the potter. Paul does in Romans 9. God is the potter. He has a pleasure. He has a design. As he's forming that vessel, he's moving his hands in such a way that he pleases. And the vessel is to conform to his design. Israel was not conforming to God's design. And as we see in the way that God calls, in the way that God elects, the way that God chooses, Paul is saying in chapter 9 of Romans, he's saying to his Jewish audience, God chose you as a nation, as instruments in His hand, to be used for His glory among the nations. But many of that called group were spoiled. There were many other just human beings who were spoiled. And God chose to use them for His glory without taking them off the wheel. He's the potter. He can do that. And so He can sovereignly use Pharaoh. He could have discarded Pharaoh. When He corrected Pharaoh, when He sent His word to Pharaoh, Pharaoh could have repented. But He didn't. God still chose to use Pharaoh for God's glory and for those vessels of grace. So God moves as He pleases. The potter is the master designer and He has a design. The design is not on our hands, it's in God's. The second thing that we notice is that the potter works from the same lump. That's what Paul says here. Verse 21, Does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and the other for common use? The same lump. What does that mean? There are other verses in the book of Romans that tell us what that means. In Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 24. Turn just a few pages over. Talking about the law of God. In Chapter 321, he says, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For who? For all those who believe. For there is no distinction. What is he saying? He's saying to his Jewish readers... You are part of the great lump of humanity that God in His grace chooses to put on His wheel. There's nothing special about you apart from God's choice of you. And today that is through, and always has been, through Jesus Christ and faith in Jesus Christ. 
Again, he says in verse 23, for how many have sinned? How many? All. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified, how? As a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. He says, listen, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's not, there's not some reserve lump of clay somewhere that is better off from all the rest of the lumps of clay. We don't have a lump of clay that's, that's on deck. And then some reserve that's, that's worse off than the other. No, we all come from the same lump of clay. We're all in the same condition. There's no distinction. All have sinned. The potter works from the same lump. If the potter works from the same lump, and all are dead, and all have sinned, then when we ask the question, why does he still find fault? We just don't understand what's going on. If all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, our fault lies not in our rejection of Jesus Christ, but it lies in our fallen nature after the fall of Adam and Eve. We're fallen. And then God gives us Jesus by His grace. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That while you were dead in your trespasses and sins, while you were part of that lump of dead clay, the potter scooped you out and placed you on His wheel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul reminds us again of where we come from. Starting in verse 9, he says to Christians, mind you, this is the church in Corinth, do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers. Who's he talking about? He's describing the lump, isn't he? The lump of clay. But then listen to what he says. He says, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, we get the same idea. Again, talking to Christians. In verse 1, and you were what? Dead. Dead in trespasses and sins. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Verse 4. Here comes the work of the potter. Are you ready? But God, being rich in mercy... You see that? He reinforces what's here in Romans chapter 9. It doesn't depend on the man, the person, who runs or who wills, but on God who has mercy. But God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us. 
even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Amen? That's it. That's the gospel. The potter works from the same lump just because you live in a Christian culture doesn't mean you're better off. Your neighbor, your family member, your spouse, your children, because they grew up in a godly environment or a Christian nation or a Christian home, does not mean they are any closer to the Lord. Why? Because we're all part of the same lump until the potter takes from that lump a piece of clay and starts to form it according to His will. See, the spiritual death that humanity experienced at the fall in Genesis chapter 3 caused us to lose our ability to naturally think like God. We're able to reason. We are thinking things, as Rene Descartes would describe us. I think, therefore I am, therefore I exist. We're thinking things, but our, our thinking skewed, isn't it? Our cognitive abilities are there. But we can't, we, and that's why we have this difficulty. That's why when we hear about God's election, we, we hit a wall. But I don't understand this. How does this make sense? This is difficult. We're able to reason, but our reasoning is broken and distorted. We have the capacity to reason, but our moral compass is broken. That's why people would ask questions like the Apostle Paul is anticipating. How is it that God can find fault in people if He freely chooses? Paul says, you're not thinking clearly. It's all by God's grace. There is no preconditioning to salvation. He's the potter. He has a design. He has a freedom in His will to take from the same lump and make vessels according to His will. The Jews lost sight of this fact that they were part of the same lump as the Gentiles at one time. No one is more privileged or better off than anyone else in God's sight. The people you may think are close to God may be much further than you think. And the people that you think are so far away from God further than anyone else are just as close to Him. All it takes is for God in His grace to wake somebody up. To take them into His hands. Do you see how close your lost family members, your spouse, your children, your neighbors, your brothers, your sisters, you see how close they are to the Lord? He can move at any moment. Keep praying for them. Pray, pray, pray that God in His grace would take them into His hands. The potter works from the same lump. And then finally, the potter is still at the wheel. He's still at work. He says in verse 22, What if God, what if 
God, although, although willing to demonstrate His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. And He did so in order that He might make known the riches of His glory upon vessels of mercy which He prepared beforehand for glory, even us, whom He also called. Not from among the Jews only, but also from among the Gentiles. He reiterates in verse 24 that idea of one lump of clay. Jews and Gentiles, both. That's what he's saying, this, in, this entire letter to the Romans. He's saying Jews and Gentiles are both coming from the same lump of clay. That's why he says in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to who? The Greek. To everyone. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. For everyone. And if God is still, if God is still at work as the potter, we can have faith that he is still working and that his design doesn't change. We're tempted to think that his design changes over time, but it doesn't. He still works according to his will, and he never changes. Micah 3.6 says, for, the, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. Just like Jeremiah described the mind of the potter. He has a plan. He has a plan. He has a design. He's forming that clay. He doesn't change. God's design still applies to everyone. The progressive members of society, the legalistic, the lawless, Conservatives, liberals, religious, non-religious, theists, atheists, the moral, the amoral, agnostics, pantheists, secular humanists, etc., etc. God's design still applies to everyone. Isn't it silly when human beings as molded things start to try to do the molding? We move the parameters, we move the boundaries, we try to shift things. This began in the book of Genesis when the serpent, dwelled by the enemy, said, Did God really say this? Let's move that. Marriage is not between a man and a woman, right? It's okay to cheat on your taxes. <laughs> It's okay to steal from the boss. Move that boundary a little bit more. Get with the times. Folks, the times don't change for the potter. He's timeless. Every day is like a thousand years. It's so funny to me when things change in our society over the span of a decade, we say things like, get with the times, and we completely ignore history as if history is just full of a bunch of fools. And we have everything figured out. His design doesn't change. Listen to what happens going back to 
Jeremiah 18. The prophet tells the children of Israel how the potter works. God says to them, ask the question, can I not deal with you as this potter does? You're mine. I took you out of the lump of humanity. I delivered you out of the hands of the Egyptians. You spent hundreds of years in slavery and I delivered you. I parted the Red Sea for you. I gave you a land flowing with milk and honey. This was my design for you. I was forming you. And you've become spoiled. Can I not do the same things as this potter does? And he says in verse 7, One moment I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to uproot, to pull down, or to destroy it. If that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the calamity I plan to bring on it. Then he says, on the other hand, I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to build up or to plant it. If it does evil in my sight by not obeying my voice, then I will think better of the good which I had promised to bless it. Do I not have that freedom? The answer from God's word is a resounding yes. God, because of who he is, must be free. If God is not free, grace has no meaning. And we are all saved or damned by our merits. And the Bible says, none of us will be saved by our merits. Only through the grace of God, through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. So what do we take from this? If God's design never changes, if He's still working, if He's still at the wheel, and He is, what does that mean for us? If you're not a follower of Christ, it means that today is the day of salvation. It means that He still invites you. It means that He still offers His Son but that day is coming to an end. If you're a believer, your patient endurance of others, of other people's evil and rebellion is nothing compared to God's. Nothing compared to the potter. Because Paul asks the question, he says, what if this were the case? For those of us who think God is unfair, what if he's like that potter who has so many vessels that have rebelled and said, no, I will not conform to your design for my life. Instead of setting them aside and destroying them all, at that moment, he allows them to exist in his glorious universe to still partake of the general revelation, the beauty of the earth, the being part of His world, and being testimonies and guideposts to others who are going to be on His will that can look out and see the pride of Pharaoh and so many others who've rejected God and said no, so that those would see those people, see them as lessons and also of objects of God's mercy and God's grace. If God can withstand that, if God can tolerate that, how great should our tolerance be?
as vessels cut from the same lump of clay as they were. You see where I'm going? I get impatient, do you? I get frustrated as a believer. I wonder, what is God's purpose? Paul tells us, to make His mercy and His glory known. He is still at the wheel, and you are still an earthen vessel made from the same lump as those whom you think are the worst of human beings. How can they think like that? How can they live like that? How can they behave like that? How can they vote like that? Those are just some of my thoughts on a daily basis. Be merciful as the potter is merciful. Trust in his plan that he has a plan and glory in his mercy and his grace that he's got you on his wheel and say to him whatever whatever you're doing is what I want to do form me mold me make me you are the molder I'm the, I'm the clay do in me whatever you want to God that I may glorify you and help me to reflect your mercy and your love as you do it. Let's bow together and pray. Father, I confess and admit, Lord, that many times I forget forget several things. I forget that such was I. That I am in my flesh and at my core a sinner. That I am nothing. That I am dead. Until you make me alive. God, I thank you that you're still moving, that you're still working, that you're still illuminating people's hearts, that you're calling people to yourself, just like you did Paul. That you are pleased to reveal your son in people and that you're still working on us. God, help us to continually yield our hearts and our minds and our bodies, our wills to yours. Knowing that all of it is a work of your grace. Father, help us, lest our assurance in our salvation and our being chosen by you and being formed by you causes pride within us to look at others pridefully to look down upon others to look at other people as beyond your ability to change 
to form. Help us to be merciful. Help us even rejoice, not in other people's evil, but in the fact that you allow them to continue to live and breathe. You continue to allow your creatures to spew hate against your word, against your people, against you, to behave in ways completely contrary to the word of God in the area of morals and ethics and godly living. Give us a measure of your patience and your grace that we would reflect your glory and not have an attitude of conceit or pride. And Lord, continue to convict us that as we are on your wheel, it is your design that we are subject to. Not the design of the culture we live in or the time that we live in or the talking heads that are always there every night, every day. We turn on our TVs or listen to our radios or watch YouTube or whatever. That it's your design that we're to conform to the work of your hands and your mind. That we would stay firmly grounded upon your word in all things. Lord, help us as we seek to be molded by you.